Hey there, everyone. My name is Emil, and you're listening to another episode of Emil in the Morning at Night. Okay, I may have underestimated the power of jet lag, and this episode is probably going up a day late again. Everything's been kind of a blur for me. I've been waking up at 4 p.m., and even by my standards, that's a bit much. But anyways, tons of stuff to catch up on for me. I ended up missing the Southeast Asia Hearthstone Tournament and Asia Pop Comic Con here in the Philippines because of my trip. And I even missed out on New York Comic Con. My flight to NYC landed right when the con ended, which was a major bummer. I did, however, get to hang out with the cool people at Chinatown Fair Arcade in New York City, and they taught me a ton about Ultra Street Fighter 4. Shoutouts to Hyde, Charlie, and Shaquille for being so welcoming and hanging out with me at the arcade. Totally missed the chance to do an interview there, but I'll be back someday. Okay, as far as stuff for me now, I'm just about to play the new expansion of Guild Wars 2, Heart of Thorns. I really want to buy this awesome game called Undertale, I'll get to that soon. And there's even the Tree of Savior and Overwatch betas to keep an eye on. Tons and tons of games to dig into. Anyways, that's it for me, so let's get down to this week's episode, yeah? This week, we have a conversation with Miss Luna Cruz, co-founder and creative director of Altitude Games, a Manila-based mobile gaming studio. She's been in the games industry since 2002, and we get talking about the ins and outs of the scene. We talk about growing up with video games, the mobile games industry, and a ton of other stuff. She's even a Krav Maga practitioner besides all this, so that's super cool. Alright, let's get down to this week's episode, yeah? Here's Emil in the Morning at Night, episode 12, with Miss Luna Cruz. Are you okay? Are you yeah, okay? Okay, okay. So let's start. Okay. Perfect, perfect. Welcome to another episode of A Meal in the Morning at Night, where I talk to interesting people over a cup of coffee at night. And tonight, joining us today is Luna Cruz. Say hi, Luna. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are Thanks you doing? Thanks for having me here. I am good. Uh, Luna is from Altitude Games, a Manila-based mobile game studio that is composed of Southeast Asian industry veterans. Can you tell us more about yourself or maybe the company? Yeah? Sure. We started Altitude Games last year, 2014, mm -hmm. and um, there were five of us co-founders. And the five of us have known each other for over 10 years. Over 10 years? Wow. You, so you guys are like really close buds. Yeah. Cool. And we've all worked with each other at some point. And uh, a few of us actually worked on the first Philippine-made computer game called Anito Defend the Land Enraged. Anito? Yeah. Wow, yeah. Super old I actually PC checked RPG. that out. Yeah, <laughs> I actually checked that one out. I looked it up. Like, it looked great, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it, it was fun to work on and because it was the first game that had been done here end-to-end, mm -hmm. -end, a lot of us learned on the job. Like, none of us had worked in games before. And um, fast forward to 10 plus years later, the five of us decided to form our own company together. Since then, we've grown to about, I don't actually know how many we are now. I'm looking around the office. You guys seem to number quite the many. Yeah. <laughs> and when I walked in here, everyone seemed to be having fun. You have this very fun, positive office environment. Yeah, it's a... It's very casual and crazy mm -hmm. and um, it's also weird that they're all here because most of us work from home. Yeah, when I walked in here, one of the guys mentioned that hindi to nangyayari lagi. Ngayon lang to. This is super rare. Like, I actually thought there would be five people today but there are oh, okay. of us here okay. today. So, now that we're talking about Altitude 
Attitude Games and how you guys got started. If I'm counting correctly, that means you've been in the industry for about like 13, 12, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you started like in 2000... 2002. I, I got into the industry right after college. Right after college? Mm -hmm. Okay, hmm, 2002. You've been in the games industry for so long. How's yeah. it been in the industry? Because for the general populace, for our listeners out there, some of them might not even be aware that there's a games industry going on here. And like a lot of people are into games. And from 2002, you got into it. How was that? Well, it's very different now. In 2002, there was one company making games here. One? Just one? Just one. Anino, okay. Which is where three of us, three out of the five founders actually, came from that first batch. Back then, everyone was making PC games. Just PC games? Just PC games. Not mobile or anything like no, that? No, no. I mean, because it like wasn't the, really the a big thing even. yet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you fast forward to now, and the industry is actually really, really large and very vibrant. Really? Yeah, so everything from their game development majors in schools now, like not just subjects, but an entire course for game development. You have people who are enrolling in college because they want to be game developers. Okay. Which is something that I didn't have like when I went into college. Oh yeah, Gaming I'm sure. was not a career for me. There were no careers mm -hmm. here. And now we have game festivals that are sponsored by the government where we get to fly in international speakers and things. And It's a really good time to be a game dev here. Okay, so like what did you study in college? What got you into this? I was trying to get into film actually. Film? <laughs> Which wow. Which is not the same thing. You have a lot in common with all of my previous oh, guests. Really? Like seriously, a lot of them are into film. Right. And video games. So you were into film. How did that lead to video games? I wanted to be a screenwriter. Ever since high school, I was studying scripts and writing my own scripts and things like that. And then in college, I took an elective in 3D animation. Mm. And that was when Pixar had just kind of gotten big. Okay. And so I dreamed of, you know, joining. And, and it's really funny because I did get to go to Pixar a couple years later. I was already working in games. Oh, really? Yeah, and then they said if you wanted to be a writer at Pixar, you needed to know how to draw. Oh. And I can't draw a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, alright. That worked out for me that I didn't follow that. So what happened was, after college, I saw an ad in the paper for a 3D artist position in mm -hmm. Anino. Anino. And um, I knew how to do some basic 3D, so I thought I'm gonna go into the this company and you know get some experience and then I can go to Pixar and then when I got in there after two weeks the boss said your 3D art is really really bad <laughs> oh man that's yeah. kind of brutal <laughs> yeah okay. but I heard that you could write so maybe you want to write for the role-playing game that we're making ah, okay maybe you can try to do that and I had never written anything game related like I didn't even think I was a gamer I played you know the sims and I had a NES and an SNES and things but it was back in the day when the term gamer was a very male term so mm -hmm. I had classmates who would play Counter-Strike all day and they were gamers and I would play on the PC by myself at home or I would, you know, play RPGs at home like Japanese RPGs but I didn't really talk to anybody about it. I didn't think I was part of this culture the oh, way it really? is now. Oh, really? That's a very interesting perspective to me because, like, I'm male and, <laughs> like, I grew up just, like, having gaming as my thing and I love gaming. I love Counter-Strike, I love Dota, I love those Japanese RPGs right. that you played and, yeah. like, I had tons of people to talk to about it. It was consistently be on my mind. Now, coming from a female perspective, you said that you wouldn't talk about it. I, I had nothing like that. It wasn't that it was a bad thing, but uh -huh. more like, 
I was just hanging out with people that they would talk about Counter Strike and things, and I wasn't really interested in that. Okay. But I had I had one friend in particular who helped me buy like a PlayStation One. That's how old I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, he lent me all his Japanese RPGs like Chrono Trigger. Oh man, PlayStation One. One. That was a fantastic console. The by golden the way. age of <laughs> Japanese RPGs. Yeah, super. Like seriously, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I would talk to him about it, and this was in college. Mm-hmm. So when he found out that I ended up becoming like a game designer, he says, "How come you get to work in games? I'm the one who made you into a gamer." <laughs> Holy shit! And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Now that we're talking about your childhood, you said that your big games were like Sims and yeah. like Japanese RPGs. Yeah. What were you into? Um, this is gonna sound really bad, but I actually did not play Final Fantasy seven or eight. <laughs> That's completely fine. No, it's it's like a sin in it, this industry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> From an industry perspective, I guess that would be like a sin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so all those things like the first Fallout, um, the first Diablo, everything that people were playing at the time, I wasn't playing. You skipped out, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean for it to be a sexist point of view, but I just really thought that that's what you know, male males were gamers into. Gamers played. I mean, that's to be completely understood because that was a different time. It, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at it now, when the majority of players in the world are female, and the age range I think is over 30, so actually the the male 18 year old you know gamer at home with mm-hmm. a console is the minority now. The really? World. Yeah, because of I mobile phones. I did not know that. Oh, mobile phones. Yeah, because that that counts, right? Everybody yeah, that completely. Counts. Candy Crush is a gamer now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Now it's weird if you don't have any game on your phone. Yeah, it would perfect. be completely weird yeah. for you. Yeah, and it's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. And I love that we are living in that kind of time. But mm-hmm, when I was mm-hmm. growing up, it just wasn't like that. For yeah, me. yeah. Back when we were kids, it was just expected for guys to be into games and for yeah. girls not to be. Yeah. And for me, growing up, that was like a huge disappointment because like I wanted to get to know girls that that played games. That played games. <laughs> That was my thing. And It was I, probably a lot, though. It's just yeah. I, we didn't get to meet any of them. <laughs> exactly. It sucked living back then that we had to be held back by this weird society that thought that it wasn't proper for girls to game or that gaming was a guy thing. Yeah. And it's really nice to me that we've moved forward and like we're living in a time now that is more like inclusive. Yeah, for sure. And huh? you know, to be fair, also to my parents, like they gave me the consoles that I wanted, and I was playing games. It's not like I wasn't allowed to play any because I was a girl or whatever. But it's just that I, I just never. Identified myself with the word gamer, you know, and the internet also was kind the of the internet. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get us started. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, so it's not like we had YouTube to watch videos and then exactly. chat with other gamers and things. No, that wasn't happening. I mean, back like in our day. at the same time, nowadays there's still this like gigantic uproar yeah. of sexism. Oh of, yeah, sure. In video games and stuff like that. I mean, like I usually don't want to talk about it because I don't think it deserves that kind of attention, that kind of negative. Because that's what they want. Because that's what they want, like yeah. that gamergate stuff, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of debacle, that kind of controversy. But at the same time, I think if we look at it through a positive lens, we said a while ago that we're already living in a much more progressive age than when we were growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And like, if you think about it in that space, we're much better off now. And all of this complaining on the internet, all of this rage against each other, is just like maybe growing pains. What do you think? I would say yes, it could be growing pains, but I 
think that no matter what kind of game we make, someone's gonna hate it. Someone's gonna find something wrong with it. Oh, okay. Like, oh, it's sexist against blank, or oh, it doesn't have enough minorities in it. It's racist. Yeah. Why isn't your character female? Yeah, it's just, Uh there's so much hate. Everywhere. (laughs) On the internet specifically. I mean, like, I guess you could say that about anything, really. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no matter what you do, no matter what you put out there, there's always gonna be critics. Yeah. And not exactly good critics either. Not the constructive criticism kind. Yeah, Mostly just like the trolls, the haters, things like that. And I think it's something that comes with the space uh, when it comes to something like the internet. Because you know that phenomenon that if you're walking on the street and you bump into someone, you tend to say sorry, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse me. But the second that you're in a vehicle, the second that you're in a car, say you're driving, Mm -hmm. and a pedestrian cuts you off, another vehicle cuts you off. You're suddenly road raging it out. Right. You're suddenly screaming your head off, angry, cursing his existence. Yeah. Her existence. Yeah. And like, I think it's the same story for the internet if we use that as an analogy. Because like, the car creates this barrier between actual human contact. Ah, so we're kind of safe. We're kind of safe. So the car separating us from the people we're interacting with, it's the same thing as the anonymity on the internet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter. It's not even as anonymous. Like, you could put your name there. Yeah, you could totally put your name. Completely vicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because just because you're not seeing the actual person on the other side of the screen, yeah. you're okay with like calling com- them names. Completely names. calling them names, bullying them, being mean about their life's work. Yeah. We try not to let that stop us. Like when we announced ourselves and we announced that, you know, we got funding and we kind of got covered by the press and things, we had haters. Like we hadn't even been around a month. Wow, and really? Yeah. Holy and, crap. You know, some people were saying, why did they get all that money? You don't need money to make a game like why didn't they holy just... shit are, are you kidding me i would give you the link if, if i could except i do not wanna <laughs> yeah yeah exactly let's let's take I'm the not high gonna road give that person yeah let's take the high road let's be better people than that oh my god but seriously uh it the... doesn't take money to make a yeah, video game so the argument was the really good games don't need a big budget you could do kickstarter if you ever wanted funding oh man these but... people obviously have no idea what it takes to make a game i mean you could it's true that you could make a game in in your parents basement there are solo projects like right like flappy bird is flappy the best, bird yeah um, and maybe papers example. please yeah which was a fantastic game fantastic game one guy but the thing is you have to weigh that against running an entire company mm-hmm, like, exactly the fact that we have you know x number of employees all of whom have families and we need the steady income for all of them while we make our game it's not as indie as some people would want us to be basically you want something sustainable yeah we want to build altitude as a company that people can work for for years Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not like we're just gonna make one game and hope it sells and then die out and that's it which is fine if that's what you want to do it's just for us because the five of us you know some of us have families already we've been around pretty much a long time that's really good though because it sucks for me to be saying this but a lot of the times the companies around here um the people who get ideas around here don't have that type of long-term thinking yeah there's a lot of like blockbuster myth to it that Mm -hmm. we just have to make one game yeah that one hit hit wonder yeah and then we're gonna you know buy a fancy office and go on trips together i mean if you think in that kind of mindset you end up being what you set out to be 
one-hit wonder. If you get the hit at all. Yeah, <laughs> if you get the hit at all, even. Oh my god, yeah. And so there's just the problem with the mobile game space is there are hundreds of thousands of apps that you're fighting. Oh for, yeah, man. Fighting against. The app store is like bananas no, flooded. Yeah, if you're not featured, you're done. That's yeah. it. Mm -hmm. If you're not featured on the front page, yeah. it's hard to get there's any no sort of visibility. Yeah, and so you have to be really careful with how much you want to bet in the industry. And for us, that means getting funding. So, you know, our runway is a little bit longer. Okay, <laughs> we're getting really deep into it when it comes to talking about like the ins and outs of the gaming industry. And to me, that's very exciting because like I walked in here being really excited about this interview because you guys are the first game development studio I'm actually talking to. Yay. And usually I would talk to the video game consumers. Right. The, the people who grew up with video games, the people who consistently buy video games. But this yeah. is the first time I'm sitting down with people who go into work to make video games. Right. And that is an awesome thing. Okay, now that we're talking about the nitty gritty, I want to bring it back a little. What have you guys been working on recently? What you guys have produced as a team? Well, we have one flagship game that we've been marketing for a while. It's called Run Run Super 5. Run Run Super 5? Yeah. Okay, it's, is that with a 5 or a V? It's, I, a, it's a V. I was confused. It is a bonus like... 5 V. Oh, yeah. Not exactly, by the way. Copyright. Copyright. Didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, basically, when we started Altitude, when there were only five of us, we were talking amongst ourselves and what kind of game do we want to make as our first game? Okay. And the possibilities are endless. It's super scary. Exactly. Also, none of us had made mobile games before. Oh, all well, right. Not, so that was new not to you really. guys. Yeah. Like, I came from a PC background. Mm -hmm. You mentioned to me off mic that you previously worked at Boom Zap Entertainment. Yes. And you worked on casual adventure franchises like Awakening, Dana Nightstone, Otherworld, Botanica, and Emberwing. Yeah. Okay, so coming from that background, how did you guys jump into the mobile space? Well, we just had to learn on the job. It was really lucky that the five of us were mobile gamers anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, like, it's hard not to be. Yeah, right, uh -huh. exactly. So we looked at all the games that we liked, and we looked at the ideas that got us excited. And one of the things that got us excited was um, 80s cartoons. 80s cartoons, all right. Uh, which shows our age again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we were thinking, you know, we can make an endless runner because um, that's pretty simple to do for a first game. Mm -hmm. You know, the mechanics are very basic, but we need a nice theme. And then we thought, well, what if it's a Sentai theme. So you have a squad of five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the five rangers. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, okay, but what would make it a different kind of runner? And then we said, you can't be a Sentai team without a super robot. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is you run and sometimes you jump into your vehicle. And there are five vehicles, of course, with, uh -huh. including a lion. And, and do they, and quote unquote, um, they vault in. Yeah, <laughs> anti-copyright infringement uh, not, vault yeah, in. Just yeah, just meaning just <laughs> connecting together vaguely. And so they do that and then they form a robot and then now you're playing as this giant robot and you're beating up this monster. Oh, cool. And so it's super fun. It got us all excited and we actually released it last year in the Philippines in uh -huh. December under Surpass, who's our publisher. Awesome. And uh, we've been tweaking it constantly and now the worldwide version is also out cool. on Android. I actually wanted to, like, usually I prepare for these interviews by consuming the work uh, my interviewee has put out there. But, like, I tried to grab your game and, like, I have an iPhone <laughs> I can't. Oh, I really sorry. can't. Oh, it's really bad. I like, We're working on the iOS version. I actually just switched out too. Oh, I used really? to be an Android user and then yeah. like I switched over to the iPhone and I'm like, I got really excited to download your game because I saw it was like a Super 5 and I was like, yes, I love Sentai. <laughs> and then I tried to download it and I'm like, yeah. I can't find it. Why? Well, hopefully around the time that this 
podcast is released, the iOS version will Oh, be. yeah, hopefully. hopefully. That'll be great. Knock on wood. <laughs> Actually, this is giving me some serious deja vu right now. It just amazes me that, like, the people here on our local team have been influenced so much about Sentai. Um, One of my previous guests, Mr. Miko Livello, a lot of his influences actually came from Sentai. He released that movie, Blue Bustamante. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> oh, I wanted to because we were mm-hmm. excited about that. Yeah, exactly. It's just amazing to me that what we grew up with, like the Super Sentai stuff, the Bioman, mm-hmm. the Mask Man, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, it's now coming out in our work. And I mean, like, Miko released a movie about OFW heroes and Blue Bustamante, his own Sentai team. Right. And here you guys are making a game about Sentai. With that in mind, now that we're thinking about what influenced us back when we were kids, what else do you think has influenced you when it comes to the things you want to create? Is there anything else that you pull from? Um, I wish I could tell you, actually, because we're working on another thing that's inspired by something oh, man. that we all like. I know. Is this on the wraps? Ba- yeah. Is this on the wraps? Oh, okay, okay. But you know, what's interesting about growing up with Sentai TV shows is we've shown Super 5 in a bunch of different countries, and we've also released it in a bunch of different countries. Okay. The reason that it's not on Apple yet and it's on Android is Android lets us post builds anywhere without much interference. Okay. So we can do open alphas in different countries and see how people react. And we tie that in with Facebook advertising. Mm. So we would use keywords like Sentai or Voltus 5. And then certain countries would be familiar with Voltus 5, usually Southeast Asia. But when we went to, let's say, um, the US, when we went to conferences in the US, mm-hmm. like nobody knew what that was. Really? But if you said Power Rangers... Uh- they, they know all, what you're talking yeah. about. They know so what you're talking about. it completely depends on what you grew up with. Oh, man, yeah. I guess I didn't realize that it's a very definitive Filipino thing to grow up with the Power Rangers and, like, the Sentai. And Voltus 5, Voltus yeah. 5. But for other countries, it was a different story, yeah? Yeah, and even when we had a booth in Casual Connect Singapore last year, May, mm-hmm. we had the first playable of our game, and we had a little booth, and, you know, the giant super robot and things like that. And some people still didn't know what Voltus 5 was, and this Holy was already crap. in Singapore. But then we would say, Power Rangers, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Yeah, because it depends. I think we're really special in the sense that as a country, we really identified We really with identified 5. with Voltus 5. I mean, that theme song is still playing in yeah, my head. everybody da, knows Okay, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I've just been taking for granted that it's just been so ingrained in our childhoods, mm-hmm. yeah? That kind of media, that kind of inspiration. Like, Japan has had, like, a gigantic influence with us when it comes to the things we grew up with, yeah, the games sure. we played, yeah. the RPGs, yeah? Okay, now that we've been talking about altitude... We've been talking about the games you produced, the games you have planned in the future, but can't talk about Sorry. yet. No problem, no problem. I'd like to get to know you more a bit. We mentioned a while ago that you used to work for Boom Zap Entertainment, and you've worked on these other casual adventure franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk more about that? Sure. So Boom Zap at the time was making a lot of hidden object puzzle adventures. Mm-hmm. And what that means is it's kind of like the old Monkey Island games. Oh, really? In the sense that it's a point-and-click adventure, and there are puzzles that you need to solve, and to solve those, you need to combine like the rubber chicken with the thing. Holy crap, yeah, yeah. Um, those inventories. Monkey strings. Island could get very obtuse sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the rubber chicken, I think, I'm still angry about. Yeah, I mean, how, how would I ever figure that out, right? <laughs> Holy crap, yeah. no clues. But now, um, they had a different market. The hidden object puzzle adventure genre, or basically casual adventures, was targeted at 30 to 60-year-old American women. 
Really? Yeah. That's so the big market. That that was a huge market. Mm -hmm. So we were making these games for Big Fish Games. They were our publisher. Okay. They had subscribers of this adult American woman, mm -hmm. basically, who would stay at home while waiting for the kids. They'd go and play these games. And they're very story-driven. There's a lot of action and drama and things like that. But there were also a lot of puzzles. That 30 you to solve. 60, huh? Oh, yeah. They're super hardcore gamers, too. I never would have imagined. But now that you say it like that, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's amazing because they would go on the forums. They mm -hmm. would discuss the games. They would discuss tips and tricks. We've met them at conferences. And they would be like, oh, I totally played your game. I loved it. Like, what? I mean, these days... They were fans. Before, like, we'd be limited to the space of thinking that, like, these types of people are only into stuff like Bejeweled. They can like both. That's yeah, the they thing. can like both. If I think about it, it makes complete sense to me now because I'm super into the Monster Hunter series on the 3DS and right. stuff. And one of the things I heard was that one of their bigger demographics are Japanese housewives. Right, I can see that. Yeah, and while waiting for the kids, while in between doing stuff for the house and things like that, and in between shopping, they would hunt monsters. Yeah, because <laughs> why not, right? Because why not? And, yeah, and, like, exactly. That, that's a super hardcore game. I'm just so impressed that they can have that sort of mindset that it's okay for them to be into something like that because why not, right? Yeah, and I mean, then all these people would form groups and they became friends exactly. through the forums yeah, yeah. And, and they were just a, this huge gaming community that I didn't know existed until I worked for Boomzap and I would play our competitors' games as well and they're all excellent. If you loved adventure games growing up, it's just like that. Man, it's really refreshing to be talking to an industry professional because like what you just said actually, you were working for Boom Zap Games and you were being exposed to the market and things like that. One of the things that piqued my interest that you mentioned was that you were playing your competitors' games and they were all excellent <laughs> and that you love them. That's the kind of attitude that I really like, actually, because it's very conducive to the success of your industry to be promoting not just your games, but right. everyone's games. Because we're all gamers and it doesn't make sense to say that, you know, we're the only ones who can make the best games. That makes no sense. Exactly, exactly. From a professional standpoint, it makes complete sense to be interested in the long-term health of your industry, right? right? But like, what I can't grasp is that from a consumer standpoint, there's a lot of infighting about like, what's better? Like, you're not a real geek. You're not a yeah. real... Like, I've been having these conversations a lot with my previous guests and like, it's refreshing to have an in <laughs> industry perspective on this, yeah? Well, the thing is, all of us are gamers here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you pretty much can't work in the game industry if, if you're you not like, a gamer. Yeah, if you don't like playing games. Uh -huh. now, now, the types of games that you play can be all different, right? So we have a bunch of employees that like Dota over Diablo, over mm -hmm. WoW, over whatever it is that they're playing. You just Clash mentioned games that I play. Yeah. Like all of it, all of it. <laughs> Holy crap. And then you have me, and I, I always think of myself as a more casual gamer. Okay. In fact, that's kind of my role in the company as creative director is to check on all our game design and make sure, you know, does it also apply to somebody like me? Like somebody who just has five minutes, downloads it from the Play Store, plays it a little bit, and you then know, puts it down. And then puts it down and it does something else. Because if you're a hardcore gamer, it's very easy to be like, no, of course it's difficult. Like, they have to get through this level and, you know, I'm oh. I'm just gonna put a lot of tutorials to make them learn how to play it my way and, and you get very, like, it's like you have blinders on. Yeah, those people with the tunnel vision when it comes to completing games. The completionists. Yeah, because the behavior of a core gamer and a casual gamer is very different. Mm -hmm. And for Altitude, when we tried to figure out what our vision was when we started, 
we said that we would make mid-core games. Okay. So mid-core is, as the name suggests, literally in the middle. So it can be casual enough for somebody to just pick up and play, but it has deeper gameplay that somebody more core can stick with for a long time. Okay, that sounds super great. When we're talking about like the casual games and like the hardcore gamers, the differences between them can blur sometimes these days. Right. Because even the casual gamers can get pretty hardcore into oh, what yeah. they're into. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Candy Crush. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> don't get me started. Like my entire family is like, whenever I get home and like I see my mother or father or like recently my sister, they'd be like glued to their iPads. Yeah, and like my my parents love Candy Crush and they discuss strategies over dinner. Holy crap! Like, really? It's like I really can't get past this chocolate or something. <laughs> 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 Holy crap! I I don't actually. Well, I I played it for a little bit, mm-hmm. but the bad thing about being a game designer is you can see through all the tricks that they're trying to do. Yeah, to you. exactly. So I was able to quit like very early on. I learned something about Candy Crush when I was doing a lot of research into game design and stuff like that because mm-hmm. it's a space that interests me a lot. Okay. And like I learned that with Candy Crush, they specifically tuned it so that a lot of the times you're going to be running out of moves two yeah. to three moves to the solution. As in, they worked out an algorithm for you to run out of moves when you're really close to the solution. Yep. yep. How do you feel about that sort of game design? Because on one side of the argument, it's nice to have that difficulty curve right. that when you get near to your goal, it becomes more difficult and every right. move you take counts more and that if you make a mistake at this crucial moment in time you're probably gonna get fucked right. and you're probably and you need not to restart, gonna, you're, sure. you're gonna need to restart but on the other side of this argument a lot of people see it as like cheap or like a lot of people see it as like oh you're just trying to make a spend tokens right how do you feel about that kind of design well i don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. I think what's interesting is the fact that it's in a free-to-play model. Like, the fact that, let's say, you ran out of lives, and now you, you can ask a friend for lives, or, or you need to, you need to pay, buy Or you need to buy lives. Mm-hmm. If you go back to, let's say, console, and the hardcore games, where they just kill you over and over. Like, you're with the same boss for 60 minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And nobody really complains about that. Mm-hmm. Because, for me, the difference between a core gamer and a casual gamer is, a core gamer is encouraged by frustration. So if the core gamer fights something and it's too difficult, they won't stop until they beat it, which is why you can spend three hours in the same oh, level, all right. right? A casual gamer is discouraged by frustration. So the instant that she dies, she's like, I don't want to play this anymore. And then I, she goes and plays something else. I've never heard it said quite like that, that the core gamer thing is that they're encouraged by frustration and the casual gamer is disheartened. Yeah, I read that in a book somewhere a long uh-huh. time ago. It wasn't said exactly like that. But the thing is, I agree with it so if you think about the core gamer and you know you pay $60 for a game that does this to you over and over and then you look at Candy Crush which is free mm-hmm. and then it makes you do that for like one minute mm-hmm. and then you're like oh this is a terrible game how dare it do it to me like you it's, can't it's, make me stop playing yeah it's yeah. like like why would you make it so difficult for me to win it's just a complete change in mindset that just because Candy Crush lets you pay to continue their evil right oh yeah yeah a lot of people will fall into that mindset but you can play Candy Crush without paying ever. Yeah, you can just like put it down for a while, man. Come on. I like the perspective that you've given to us because a lot of the times the people will jump to that evil conclusion. Right. But at the same time, I think what they fail to realize is that there's a lot of kinds of people in the world. And not everyone is, as you described, that core gamer mindset that is encouraged by frustration. We're not all the types of people that will bang their head against the wall until we get it right. 
right. a lot of us want to succeed and a lot of us only have time for this sort of thing in this sort of time frame right and these types of games are made for that kind of people and i think they're the majority right well i'm not saying that king who made candy crush is completely like guilt-free about what they're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly but the thing is the free-to-play is just a complex monster mm-hmm. so i wouldn't say that okay you just have to put lives in your game and then you'll make money because we've seen companies who have excelled in that business model then they release a second game and that second game is no good like it doesn't make any money whatsoever mm. so I wouldn't say the business model itself is evil the same way that I can't say the business model itself will make you rich I think it just depends on the developer right yeah, absolutely it depends on how good your game is if your game is good then your gamers will want to spend money on it if you look at something like Hearthstone or I love Hearthstone or, so much yes or uh, Fallout Shelter both of which are free to play but they're good games they're, they're excellent games and you can play them for free if you want but they're making so much money because gamers want to give these companies their money exactly i mean like it blows my mind that hearthstone heart excuse me hearthstone has been so immensely popular and so immensely successful and magic the gathering still can't get it right (laughs) holy crap every time magic releases an app it's always like oh my god why are you doing it this way it's like why are you doing it in a way that limits the player they aren't embracing the free-to-play model they aren't embracing new ways of selling their product Right, right. And like, it, it blows my mind that they can't adapt when something like Hearthstone is here and is successful. Yeah, and it's crazy. And Hearthstone was made with a very small team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's one of Blizzard's most successful things right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And everything about it just emulates a tabletop card game. Mm-hmm. Even the way that the UI opens and the booster packs open. It's yeah, meant man. to replicate that feeling, the tactile feeling of cards. And, you know, you can say that... Um, Wait, I lost myself. Oh, um, the tactile feeling it's of cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was about to happen. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, no worries. It's I my job to keep us on track. I was up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I Holy just crap, holy crap. Okay, okay. Um, so you were saying that um, everything about Hearthstone has to do with that tactile feeling. That, yeah. that, that good feeling about opening the cards. Yeah, so um, it's also hard to say that, well, you have this amazing game like Magic that's been around forever and it still has, you know, uh, loyal gamers up to now. Mm-hmm. And then they try to make a digital version of it. It's hard, though. It's yeah. hard to make a game and that's the thing that a lot of the haters might not get mm-hmm. is they don't see how difficult it is to make, make a, game. a fun a, game a in, fun in engaging their, experience yeah in their definition of fun mm-hmm. because the definition of fun will change from, from, from player every, to player yeah from player to player and like from a developer's side that's very different from the consumer mindset yeah exactly so, so you have to put yourself in their boots exactly you mm-hmm. have to figure out like what might be fun for me and this happens to me all the time what's okay. easy for me is might not be easy for difficult yeah. yeah or vice versa right? uh-uh, exactly and so how is it that I can tell someone in our team that this game is too difficult and they'll just be like no you just suck at it yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to get that balance of a perfect game or if there is such a thing uh, I'm sure that a lot of people will complain about Hearthstone or mm-hmm. things like that and it's not perfect to them but the best you can do is try to be really calculated with your design and test a lot and release it to the market early enough that you can get feedback from real players and then if there were a formula for making a blockbuster game yeah then, yeah yeah then I wouldn't share it yeah. <laughs> but I don't have it yet. oh man okay we've been like having a great conversation so far we've been getting tons of insight let's take a short break and we'll be right back with Miss Luna Cruz for even more insight in the games industry be right back 
you're listening to a meal in the morning at night. Honestly, I don't have much to say here just yet, but if you have any ideas or if you would like me to talk about your stuff in this section, send us an email over at emilinthemorning at gmail.com. Now, I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far, so let's get right back to it. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Miss Luna Cruz again. Hello. Like, from Altitude Games. We've been talking about a ton of shit already. I can't believe how much ground we've covered. What were we talking about right before the break? We were talking about, like, Hearthstone, right? Right. We were talking about how every game developer treats it differently. And we were also talking about how the freemium model is used by companies in different manners. It's not necessarily evil, right? Right. I guess from my experience, coming from my side, from a consumer... Uh-huh. I don't usually play endless runners. I don't usually play mobile games. But uh-huh. sometimes one will hook me. One or two will hook me. Right. Like for example, Jetpack Joyride. Oh, I love that I game. I love Jetpack That's Joyride. That's right. a super excellent game. And it's like it's very simple. Yeah. Actually, most adult swim games. They're actually really good, yeah. They're really good at play, that. Um, Robot Unicorn. Oh, that one. Um, Monsters, Monsters Ate My Condo. Yeah, yeah I love that one. Just to be like critical Naman. I love Monsters Ate My Condo and I love Super Monsters yeah. Ate My Condo. I love that. <laughs> It's on my phone right now. I was playing it yesterday. <laughs> I just downloaded it again. Right, yeah, on your new phone. <laughs> but just to be critical of them about Adult Swim, I mean, like, they released a lot of cool games. One of their most recent ones, their new Super Monsters game. Oh, I haven't Have played it Have you tried yet. it? No, yeah? not yet. Super Monsters ate my Metropolis. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they recently released it, like, just a few weeks ago. Does it play the same as... No, as Monsters uh, Ate My Oh, no. That's this the is... thing. That's the thing. I downloaded it expecting a similar experience to Super monsters ate my condo but it's a card game oh it's a card game and the only feeling i was getting while i was playing super monsters ate my metropolis was that this is a really successful ip i love this ip i love what you guys have done with the game but this just feels like you're trying to cash in on the on the recent rise of trading card games on the mobile space and like it didn't highlight what they've been good at for these past few years so it's not fun like it's it's not a good game by itself i don't know because for me when i'm into card games i love the deep mechanics of shit i love the collectability of everything Mm -hmm. those are the two important things to me Mm -hmm. it has to feel collectible Mm -hmm. there has to be rarity brackets like there has to be classic common rare yeah and the randomness of what you're gonna draw the randomness of what you're gonna draw things like that but i didn't feel it from this game the cards seemed inconsequential whenever you open a card pack that part excited yeah yeah you have to be like oh am i gonna get a rare but like here when a rare pops up it's exactly the same as another card but just like slightly better oh i see so it's, it's like not unique it's not unique there'll be a card called boulder or something like that and there would be four kinds of boulder a common a rare and oh i see and yeah, i'd be yeah, just yeah. like this isn't that exciting on the collectability side right. and then on the more important side of the deep mechanics I wasn't very impressed either it was just a simple rock paper scissors oh I see you're both dealt a hand and you fight AI not even an actual person mm. and depending on what card like I throw out a green card it's weak to a red card that's it is it doing well do you know I, I don't know because like I picked it up excited I picked it up with an open mind and I'm like a card game why not I love this IP right. let's give it a shot I love Hearthstone let's give it a shot I played it for a few minutes I'm like no. I- I'm not engaged yeah that's a shame though because because uh, I used to play all the adult swim games. The only reason that I stopped is just because I don't have time now to exactly. play a lot of things. I mean, who has time these days, right? <laughs> 
I should though. I should really take Tr time out. Like, try to play it. Maybe get some insight on your side. Because, like, I'm not quite sure what went wrong. Because right. what is your feeling when it comes to things like that? Like we said, Adult Swim is a very successful game development group. Mm -hmm. And consistently, they produce very high-quality games mm -hmm. that are very fun and engaging. Mm -hmm. And Super Monsters is a really cool IP that they work with all the yeah. time. So how do you feel about that? Because we just got so used to that. So yeah. I think the condos... It's and a match three, really. It's, it's a, a match three, match but three. it's a vertical match three. Yeah. Right, right, right. And like we just got so used to that format that when they changed it up, I wasn't expecting it. And at the same time, it felt lackluster. What's your feeling on that? Should an IP stick to what they know, stick to what they're successful with? As in tradition? I like that they broke out of their tradition. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not feeling it. What's your take on that? Well, I think with an IP, with a successful IP, of course you can do anything you want with it exactly it's but, your ip <laughs> yeah it's your ip but the key to a good game is if you remove the ip if you just make it some generic thing will it still will succeed it, will it be fun like will i want to play this game and a lot of games now are just based entirely on ip mm -hmm. um or like a movie license or things like that and oh, they, man, yeah. they might not be a good game <laughs> like tons of frozen games on the app store <laughs> holy crap uh, i don't want to say anything <laughs> bad about anybody yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah me neither me neither me neither <laughs> but then again you know once in a while like i, I play a game that's fantastic like uh um, I don't know if you've played the Spider-Man runner. Oh, no, I haven't. It's amazing. Like, it's incredible. It's really? A, it's like a 3D runner. Like, what's his face? The thing with the dude with the... The thing with the dude. <laughs> Are you talking about Temple Run? Yes. Okay, Temple Run. See? Holy shit. The I thing with sense. the dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> listeners, it makes sense I to was, me. I was with my hands. I was forming like a dude and then a boulder. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. He got it. She was mimicking the whole Indiana yeah. Jones thing with her fingers. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it was a Temple Run clone, mm -hmm. but... They made it look like a comic. They brought in all the different Spider-Man from the different multiverses and things. Yeah, I just recently got into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and then there are story-based missions where you get to fight like the villains. And you know, I was skeptical because I'm not really a comics person. Me neither. Um, so you know, and Spider-Man isn't my favorite. But I play it and it's excellent. It's just a great runner. And I actually got hooked in it for a long time. I had to stop myself. And, and that's the thing, right? I think the danger with IP is thinking that you can skin anything with it and it'll do well. And sometimes that works. In Hollywood, that works a lot. Like, mm. everyone will see it on opening day. The Kim Kardashian game. <laughs> hey, that one, actually, I played it a little bit. How was that? It didn't work for me just because that kind of game doesn't appeal to me. But mm -hmm. I have friends who are game developers who just loved it. Like, they really? just got super addicted. From a design perspective, yeah, it was they good. Just, well, it didn't work for me. But did you play the Hunger Games game that came out? Oh, no, 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 no. no. On iOS. It's a little bit similar. Basically, you have quests. And to finish your quests, you needed to tap on things. Ah. It's it's very simple. That can be really satisfying though. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Kim Kardashian one, I played the tutorial and basically you get to clean up this dress shop and there's stuff on the floor and you tap on the stuff. And it wasn't working for me, but I played the Hunger Games version. Okay. Which was like, you know, Katniss was out in the woods and she needed to collect wood. And I'm like, I'm totally going to tap on all this stuff. So and it's the same thing. It's but... the same thing, but the story was more interesting to me because ah. they had all the characters in the district. So what things. you're saying is like, you have to use your IP efficiently to target a certain market. Yeah, and the gameplay has to be interesting enough for yeah, a totally, player. Yeah, totally, totally. But also, if I like the story of a certain IP and they tell the story very well, then I'm going to play that game over an exact same game with a different uh, IP yeah. that I don't like. So Angry Birds, for example, is probably the most recognizable IP that we have now mm -hmm. where they have all different types of games, right? So they have the slingshot physics games, they mm -hmm. have an RPG, they have racing, they have all sorts of games now out. And um, I understand why they would want to keep using the same characters, especially because the children that grew up with Angry 
Angry Birds are still playing Angry, Angry Birds. Birds. And then now they have clothes, like Angry Birds clothes and toys and things. But I played their RPG that they did. I wasn't into as much Angry Birds Epic. Really? Yeah. But um, it's like a three versus three RPG. But one of our producers actually loves it, like super got addicted to it. So it, it's hard to say that, you know, milking your IP, if, if that's what you want to call it, mm-hmm. is a bad thing. These days, we're only coming to grips with the realization that designing games is as much as an art as it is a science. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. It's not all calculated. It's not all like theories. Sometimes it takes a little heart to make a game, you know? It takes a little connection to your audience. It takes a little connection with yourself. I believe that's the best way. I mean, some designers don't think that way. Really? Um, if you think about the whole spectrum of it, some designers will make games that they want to make, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's complete, like, it's my vision. This is what I'm going to do, and I don't care if people like it or not. On one side of the spectrum. On one side. And on the other side of the spectrum, on it's the other just... side is the complete metric space. Like, ah. I'm going to make a clone of this game and copy everything because I just want to make money. Okay. Right? So there's no so, personal stake there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, personally, I think I would be somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that is the best place to be, <laughs> honestly. Because a lot of the times, these two ends of the spectrum don't seem to understand that one is necessary for the survival of the other. Right. Because the creative side, the ones that actually want to create something, it's very artsy, it's very creative, it brings forward new ideas, but at the same time, they tend to look past the sustainability of their project right. and the business side of things. And right. the business side of things, the man, when your main vision is money, you go nowhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, kung pera lang yung gusto mo sa industry na to, wala kang pupuntahan eh, kasi mm. wala kang ambition. Mm. If we were to talk in Filipino, yeah. <laughs> nahawa ako sa mga ibang guests ko dati. Like, <laughs> I've been speaking in Filipino a lot more. Okay. okay. Well, for example, uh, so as creative director, one of my jobs is to train the designers under me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would say, you know, it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Like when you design a level or something, and then I would say, it just doesn't feel right to me. And then we start talking about feel. Like, how do you know when your gut as a designer says, this is too easy or this is too difficult or this place clunky or not? The controls are jank. Yeah, and there are no metrics to that feeling. Yeah, there's no metrics for that, huh? And we're heavily metrics-based, so mm-hmm. we would, like, run on Super 5, went through several open alphas in different countries. Rigorous then, testing, huh? Yeah, and then every day we would look at the numbers mm-hmm. and see, okay, everybody quits at level 3 or everybody stops Oh, wow, that point. deep, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, everyone's killed by this enemy everyone is like there's so much data but the data doesn't actually tell you what's wrong with your game mm-hmm. it just kind of highlights specific points but you don't know why like you don't know why they're dying at level 3 basically it'll just show you where to look yeah uh-huh. then you have to go by feel so like mm. I think it's because of this and then we change it and then we do A-B testing so half of the gamers get this and the other half gets this and then we see how they react and then we're like okay it wasn't that I think it's this and so you're using numbers but at the same time you're not dropping your sense as a designer of what is making it not fun like what will make this better for a player experience and that feel is hard to teach mm-hmm. I think you only get that from experience I think you need a very specific background yeah. in order to give that feeling so I can look at UI and say yeah this UI is not gonna work yeah that doesn't look good you won't be able to say why sometimes you, you can UI I'm alright I can mm-hmm. actually say um, why but yeah sometimes like they give me art studies and it's a huge joke in the company because I really can't draw to save my life okay so when 
I try to describe art, so they'll give me like three versions of the same thing, and I'll say, I like A. I don't know why, but I just like A. <laughs> and, then, and then Chester, art director, will say, let's use A because B is too saturated, and the you know the lines are like this, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. That's what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess with experience comes like a lot of this feel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, we're getting really deep into the industry talks and really deep into the nitty gritty of what makes the company work and like what makes the games industry tick. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking a lot about the IPs, the things like that. That's pretty amazing. I mean, like like I said a while ago, it's my first time talking to a local games development studio, somebody from there. I mean, the creative director. Yeah, <laughs> that's super great. To our listeners out there, though, now that games are on the rise, now that this sort of media, this sort of culture, this sort of niche interest is becoming mainstream, becoming something that everyone partakes in, there might be people out there that want to jump into the games industry. I'm sure a lot of young people out there are like, I want to do games when I grow up. I want to do games when I graduate. But a lot of them don't even realize that there is an industry here. Earlier, you explained how you got into it. But for our younger listeners, for the people who want to get into this type of industry, what would you tell them? I think the easiest way to get into the industry is to start making games on your own. So how we hire, for example, is um, we ask for the resume, a cover letter, and also a portfolio. For example, if you're an artist, it goes without saying that you must have made some art on your own, like personal art or art for school that you can can show. Uh But for people who want to be game programmers or game designers, it's not as obvious to them Mm -hmm. to submit, let's say, games that they've worked (laughs) on. No, but it's true. It's true. You really do need to submit a wall of code. Yeah, and game design is the worst too because at least in game programming we give tests to our applicants so there's a one week test for code art and design so for code there's a lot of math that I don't understand but <laughs> yeah. the technical director and the engineering director like both of them can go through it and say yeah he did this right he did this wrong for art it's the same they have a one week test and then you know the art director can say okay the animation is not good or the modeling isn't okay. good or whatever it is but for design because it's so subjective it's not as obvious for me to go in and say your design is good and a lot of people who want to be game designers also they don't code like me I don't actually code or mm-hmm. draw so mm-hmm. it's not like in school I had made a game all by myself but back then there were no resources for me now you have the internet you have you license. can learn anything you can learn anything exactly. you, have, you have engines like unity which is free so they could actually go and make a game all by themselves we live in a golden age of education yeah for exactly. sure so it's the same way that when you apply to a game company abroad they'll ask you to let's say script dialogue in the Aurora tool set or uh-huh. whatever it is and you have to go and learn that tool set Mm -hmm. right and you can't just show up with like a bunch of books and documents and say hire me they want to see that you can go make a game or script dialogue or or do all these things or Mm -hmm. make levels by yourself and if you're not willing to do that you probably won't be happy doing that for the rest of your life which yeah is that what, makes sense that makes which sense which is what a game dev job is people think that oh you it must be so much fun you're playing games all day we are but we're making them and it's, it's very, an actual very hard. job yeah yeah it's really difficult to make a game a while ago you brought up an interesting point when it comes from the um creative side the art side it's very easy to discern what you can submit in your portfolio it's very yeah. easy to discern what you can give from a programmer's standpoint it's easier to tell what you can submit as actual concrete work mm-hmm. like your code, like your language, your mm-hmm. programs. The interesting point that you brought up was when it comes to a game designer perspective, mm-hmm. what does one submit actually? Because to design a game is like to flesh out a concept. Right. Like it's concept development. Yes. So what do you pitch? Well, we've had 
you know, game ideas, pitches, concept documents submitted. And some companies discourage that actually because that's really a, it's a problem with IP. So basically, uh, you're giving your game idea to a company. You're basically handing them your product. Yeah. That's not good practice. And you don't. Yeah. So some companies are like, just don't submit any design documents to us, right? Okay. But the thing is now, like, you could make levels in Minecraft. Like, you could just do all sorts of things, and if you wanted to show what you can do with a game concept, mm-hmm. um, the test that we give tries to address that. Okay. Um, What's this test? Well, I can't tell you. It's in the test. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Okay. No. 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 But basically, depending on the project that we want you to be in, we will give you a test that sees if you can grasp the concept and design some things around oh, certain parameters. Okay. Okay. The problem for us as well is we can't really just like, give you our code and say here make a level using our code. Like, yeah, we don't it's your wanna, code. Yeah. So we don't want to share it anything that way but it really helps us if they give like game projects that they've made even with their friends or their game jams now Mm -hmm. like once a year we have the global game jam here where you can show up you have no game experience yeah game jams are super fun they're they're, they're awesome Mm -hmm. and so there's really no excuse for you to not try to make a game and at worst like you really haven't tried to make a game in software you could just pen and paper it all out or submit like like show us like a card game or something that you've designed something where we've seen that you sat down and really thought about mechanics and it's not about I have this dream game that I want you guys to make which is also oh I want you to make (laughs) holy crap I want to work in your company so I can work on my dream game and they're going to be so disappointed when we say well it's a job you're going to make this game yeah yeah exactly (laughs) oh man so far you've given some great insight for the people who like maybe want to get into this sort of thing and you bring up an interesting point wherein like if you're going to be into game design you're gonna need to take with you a very specific kind of skill set maybe art maybe the programming or maybe at the end of the day the harder path is to just be a game designer yeah yeah Yeah. i mean we couldn't even like quantify that properly and most usually you mentioned like in the industry it's more of on the employer's side that they can try to determine your game designer abilities yeah and it's hard on the game designer's part to actually show this off that's the thing though i really think there's so many game engines out there that you can try try out anything yeah yeah. try out anything just make a little game like make tic-tac-toe it doesn't matter just make something and so we understand that you know the technical aspects of it because a lot of game designers they think it's a pen and paper job like they don't want to get near actually building stuff right they just want to tell other people what to do Uh but in altitude that's not the case if you're a designer here you script all your own stuff you prototype all your own stuff all right you're you're using unity like all day that's what you're doing so if you're not willing to try unity beforehand when Uh you have all the time in the world and then learn it and you know make some levels on your own you're not gonna like our job which is 100 unity. that makes complete sense to me (laughs) because like a lot of people can be very idealistic Mm -hmm. very very blinded by the possibility of maybe making Making games because they grew up with games and they love games and they can be blinded by the um I wouldn't call it glamour. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a glamour. <laughs> exactly. They can be blinded by the idea that they can be doing something that they love, that they forget that there is actual work involved oh, here. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to sound too jaded or anything. I just believe that... Industry vet talking here, guys. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Back in my day. <laughs> but I do believe that if you want to be a game developer, regardless of you know which field you want to be in, just try and make stuff on your own. Like There's nothing stopping you right now. Get together with your friends or join a game jam or do it on your own yeah form a small team with yeah, your buddies just yeah make something yeah and then 
show that to us and that really gets you into the door like if you have a game portfolio that's one step closer to the interview for sure so your main advice for people like that is take the step yeah you need to take the step don't yeah, absolutely. just don't just leave it as an idea in your head yeah it's hard for us to see potential if you just give a resume with zero game development <laughs> experience exactly exactly so you know just if you want to compete against people who have worked in the industry and you want us to give you a chance then show us a portfolio yeah plus trust me it is a very satisfying feeling to have created something and to see it in physical form oh in front yeah of you. for sure it's a very satisfying feeling okay now we've gotten super in-depth through the <laughs> games industry and things like that and like i'm sure a ton of our listeners like love this kind of shit and like <laughs> can't get enough of hearing about it but i want to jump on over to another topic i'd like to get to know you more a little bit before we start wrapping up this interview okay and before we jump back into game design so you're a game designer mm-hmm. and you're the creative director of altitude games right now mm-hmm. you've been in the industry for 13 years and this has been your life yeah pretty much yeah you mentioned to me off mic that you're also a krav maga practitioner yeah <laughs> well, yeah what's up kind with that weird. that's that's super <laughs> off kilter that's super left field i don't see these two things yeah. like, together in one room so during the day you're a game designer and yes. i tried to get in touch with you last night and yeah, you were at... actually at the gym yeah training yeah. <laughs> so you're a krav maga practitioner yep uh, can you tell our listeners about that that's super interesting uh, sure so krav maga is a contact a combat system uh, developed in israel and what we study here is the civilian version so it, it basically um, it's used for self-defense okay so we study different kinds of attacks it can be done on the street so everything from chokes bear hugs to knife attacks gun attacks yeah as from what i know about krav maga it's like aikido boxing judo and wrestling right it's a lot of things but really what happened was israel needed a combat system that would work on the street okay okay and, and so they developed it for military and um, they developed it for law enforcement third-party protection things like that but the civilian form the self-defense form mm-hmm. is really like what are the crimes that happen all around the world because ikmf or the international krav maga federation which is where i study we have schools all around the world mm-hmm. and so every year they update the techniques based on how the crimes being done are these techniques not working anymore and then they change it oh. so they actually keep updating the techniques it's as an ever-evolving martial art yeah it, it makes it very difficult to study because <laughs> like what i knew last year might not be what's correct this holy year. crap okay so um, how'd you get into this because like this might surprise you but you're not the first martial artist i've interviewed like one of my first interviewees he's like a sculptor by profession but on the side he teaches escrima like, oh awesome it's super weird yeah like, yeah yeah like, i inter- can kind of imagine yeah uh, sure. this is an interesting intersection uh because yeah. like you're the second person i've met that has very dissociative interests like game design right. and, and krav maga so how'd you get into this yeah well for me it started a couple of years ago i wanted to take a self-defense class it was actually on my bucket list oh, okay because you know it sucks to say it but being a girl living in a big city you know and i have friends who have been held up or attacked or mm-hmm, etc mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course um, i didn't want to be afraid all the time if i was walking or driving at night or commuting and so i found out that they were teaching krav maga near my house oh cool and it was funny because i'm not really a violent person <laughs> i mean i i was 
so afraid going to the first class that I almost turned around and walked back. Really? And it was funny because I was deciding that and then I saw a friend of mine from college, actually the same guy who turned me into a gamer. Um, that guy? That guy, uh-huh. whom I haven't seen in years. He comes down the steps of the gym. He's like, hey, are you here for the Krav Maga class? I'm like, yeah. Holy shit, cool. I'm like, of all the people to, to run bump into. into. Yeah. yeah. So he got me into Krav Maga. How about that? He got wow. me into the he got, you in, he got you into the games and, and yeah. he got you into the Krav Maga. I know. I, mean, I owe him a lot. You actually already had the interest, but like you were doubting yourself. Then yeah. you saw him. Yeah, and yeah. And like, oh shit, you're here? <laughs> Holy crap. So um, from the first day, I was hooked. Because Krav Maga, it's not actually a, a martial art. It's really a self-defense system. So it's very practical and it's meant to be easy to learn for anyone on the street. So it's not like you have to be in perfect physical condition or anything like that. It's I'm really not. a system. Yeah, yeah it's self-defense. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I remember the first class I attended was if someone is standing very close to you like behind you mm-hmm. and you can feel him like he's invading your personal space yeah. and so the, the instructor said you know nobody has a right to invade your personal space yeah. so when they do that you have to fight and mm-hmm. so I think it was like a backwards elbow and then probably a knee to the groin knee to the face and then hammer fist at the back of the neck holy crap <laughs> yeah wow that does sound very systematic <laughs> holy shit so you just recently passed the practitioner level 5 exam yeah what does that mean so in Krav Maga we have different patches that you mm-hmm. go up so you start from level zero practitioner level zero or p0 so i just passed p5 which is amazing because um we were the first batch to pass p5 in mm-hmm. the country oh wow um because we have instructors but they took an instructor's course when they were p3 so they kind of jumped up levels during the course oh, yeah they skipped levels mm-hmm. and it was completely well deserved but the P5 exam, like, nobody had taken it before us. Oh, wow. So I had nobody to ask, like, so what's it like? That sounds daunting. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Um, but basically, to level up, they test all the techniques in the syllabus. Is this like belts in Taekwondo or something it's like, like that? It's like belts. It's like belts. But all the right. exam is terrible. Holy crap. Terrible in what way? <laughs> so so they test the techniques one by one, mm-hmm. and um, they tire you out. And then at the end of the syllabus, they will do group drills. So multiple attackers. You're fighting against four people, five people with weapons okay so like you're fighting against people who are punching kicking using knives using sticks and you're exhausted this yeah. is like two hours in so, so it's like a gauntlet <laughs> yeah holy shit and then you finish that and then you have sparring and things that, that's some bruce lee pagoda <laughs> shit right there holy crap um and then when you're done you have to do power drills like push-ups holy crap so they really kick the shit out of you yeah and the point is you just have to survive because on the street if you're being attacked they're not gonna take it easy life. on you yeah you're not gonna be like sure take a water break yeah, like, take a water break <laughs> while I stab you. Yeah, and yeah they're not going to do that. So th- there is... A, they try to be very practical <laughs> is what I'm seeing. There's a method to the madness. Yeah, like, there is a method. They, they sure. exhaust you because they want to see that you can fight through stress. It's, yeah, I guess that would be the main point. Yeah, every class actually is structured that way. So they'll teach a technique and then you go through drills to practice a technique. But at the end, there's always a final drill where they will stress you out to try and simulate getting your adrenaline out. A stressful situation. Yeah, exactly. And then if you're super exhausted and somebody attacks you, can you still do the technique oh that sounds very very practical and very very like applicable to real life okay so now that you've passed this practitioner level five exam i hear that you're about to start an instructor course maybe teach krav maga uh, <laughs> yeah so um, by the time this podcast comes out yeah. i will be done with part one there are two parts to the instructor's course okay and um all in all it's about 19 days mm-hmm. where you study krav maga under an israeli instructor so we flew in oh, wow two instructors for those 19 days Legit- 
legit. Yeah, I used to be super terrified about it mm-hmm. because my friends who have gone through it, they lost like 15 pounds. Just Holy. like, yeah, just, just because training it's, for it. it's, no, just at the course. Oh, okay. It was just so grueling. At the course itself, they lost 15 pounds. They just pounds. lost 15 pounds. Oh, wow. I thought in, in preparation oh, for Oh, no. Holy shit. Um, apparently, nothing we can do to prepare. <laughs> There's nothing we can do. Like, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the, the whole point of it is to like, without preparing, can you be ready for this, right? It's going to be worse than all our exams combined. But, but, but the reason I'm doing it is right now there's no female instructor in Krav Maga in the country ah. in, in IKMF so for our batch there are four of us girls who are enrolled and I think it's really important for there to be a female instructor because when I was starting out when I took the P1 exam I was the only girl and it was hard like uh-huh. well, there were girls ahead of me uh-huh. but I wasn't close to them yet at the time and in the gym I was the only one mm-hmm. for a while and when I got older in Krav I guess and we would get more girls to come in they found it comforting to be able to partner with another girl and kind of see that okay so she can do it and if you look at me I'm not really like I don't look like an athlete at all you I'm a super nerd you actually don't look like you're a Krav Maga <laughs> practitioner but I think it's inspiring mm-hmm. for women to enter a class and know that there are other girls who have been doing this and they're just normal girls just like me right mm-hmm. I was never an athlete growing up no sports skills whatsoever <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nerds unite yeah but to have someone you know at a higher level than you to help you and teach you and kind of assure you that this is totally fine and Mm -hmm. that you're strong enough that you can defend yourself and you can you know hold your weight against all these dudes Uh yeah representation a lot of people undercut its value a lot of the time because like representation doesn't just represent a side or a concept it helps the younger generation transition into this phase of like greater acceptance and Mm -hmm. when somebody is represented in a certain media or like a certain discipline people start to see that it's possible and and you can relate to them like either by gender or through background or things Mm -hmm. like that just the sheer representation of someone that you can relate to can inspire you to think that I think that's what's important here and I feel like it's sad again to say but you know women are the target market that we need to reach to the most oh because self-defense yeah for sure like I have a friend who started taking Krav Maga after she was assaulted in a cab like three guys enter the cab beat her with a pipe for several hours it's like it's like the worst that could happen, right? Yeah. She was in the hospital for a while. and uh, That's the extreme worst. Oh my yeah, God. And it, it blows my mind that that kind of shit still happens. It does. And it doesn't have to be that drastic. Like people get held up all the time at mm-hmm. knife Wallets point. Wallets stolen. Cell point. phones stolen. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it doesn't mean that you have to fight all the time. In fact, what's taught to us is if someone's asking for your phone, just give it. The phone versus your life, like obviously, you know, mm-hmm, your life mm-hmm. is more important. But there are cases when they really just want to hurt you. Basically, when push comes to shove, you yeah. have to know how to defend yourself and and for women it's worse because you know they don't just want to hurt you they want to hurt you <laughs> holy crap oh man <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so, um, and, good thing this is an audio format because <laughs> our faces right now at you yeah. holy crap anyways um, and, and I hate that and I don't want women to live in fear like you, exactly. you don't want to cross the street at night or whatever like it's it's not fair that it's happening to us it's but. completely unfair but like at the same time I'm really glad that like it might not seem like it's happening because it's a very slow process but our earlier conversation a while ago when we were talking about our childhood back when we were younger mm-hmm. I mean if you compare it to back then we have progressed so much and it's just amazing to me and like I just want to keep seeing this movement go forward mm-hmm. until we come to a point that when we're much much older that <laughs> 
that the younger generation deems it like, wow, back then that was a thing. <laughs> back then, females had to go through this. I just want to see that oh, happen. Oh well, uh, I hope there will be a world where we won't get, you know, attacked. But I don't know. I hope we're around for that when it yeah. happens because I believe that it is happening and we will get there because progress is a very slow thing. A lot of people cry out for progress. A lot of people cry out for change. Mm -hmm. But we have this instant gratification sort of mindset that mm. is very prevalent these days. And I think a lot of the loudness coming from the internet, a lot of the loudness coming from Tumblr, these Gamergate scandals, all of these things, a lot of the shouting, the loudness, the controversy, a lot of that is just people not realizing how slow change can be. And like, I think we're on the path there. It's just gonna take a while, guys. <laughs> yeah, and until we get there, Gotta know, we, need it to out. we need to teach self-defense. Yeah, we need to educate. <laughs> we need to get out there and show everyone what we got from the martial arts perspective and from the game design perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great to see representation in game design because like what we said a while ago, like back when we were kids, it wasn't thought of. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, when we started, I was the only girl in the dev team. Oh man, and, it's gotta be something, right? And, and now it, it's crazy. Like women can outnumber men, no yeah, problem. Yeah, totally, yeah. no problem. And a lot of the times, like the male culture in the games industry can become so like, it becomes so close-minded in a sense that since we all grew up with games and we all had a certain type of experience growing up with games around each other as boys mm -hmm. around that culture back in the 90s, back in the 80s, we all have the same perspective. And it's very, very refreshing to get the perspective of a female gamer. And I think that is what's going to push our industry forward. Being able to accept a lot of different perspectives and being able to grow our market exponentially, yeah? You know, sadly, it's it's still going on though. Like one of our artists um, who's female, she was playing a casual game kind of competitively. Mm -hmm. And she was high up in the ranks already in the league. And then when they found out she was a girl, dudes were like, you can't be a girl. Like, there's no way you can be a girl. You're oh, so that's good. bullshit. I know, but it's like, really? In 2015? Yeah, that's giant bullshit, man. <laughs> Holy crap. I can't believe some people are still like that. And yeah. like, when I see people like that, I'm like, you guys realize that you are on the wrong side of the fence yeah. right now, right? They don't realize Yeah, that, that's, that's the, the worst problem. part. That's the worst yeah. part. But I think they're the minority now. I would like to think so. It's just that with the internet. They're the loudest. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has the same megaphone, you know? Yeah. And like a lot of us don't realize that, that even if they're the minority now, everyone just has such a loud voice on the internet that it seems like it's still such a massive problem. Mm. And like, we shouldn't ignore them, for sure. We should educate. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think we should be slightly more positive when it comes to addressing issues like this because we are on a forward path and we are on the right path and these people are on the wrong side <laughs> of the fence. Holy shit. Okay, we've, we've discussed so much and like this has been a very informative episode you've been great oh like, thank you how was the interview for you yeah no, it, um it's awesome this is my first podcast <laughs> your so. first podcast very <laughs> I was first super nervous you did great like you didn't seem nervous at all dude oh great holy Thanks. crap we discussed so much about the industry we've discussed so much about your perspective as a female in the games industry krav maga things like that mm -hmm. it's been an amazing eye-opening conversation for me and like I end up saying on all of these podcasts, you learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, yes, we do. So just to wrap up, is there anything you'd like to plug? 
Well, um, over at Altitude, we're always hiring. We are looking for people with experience in Unity. Unity, so, Unity okay. developers. Um, if they're game designers, that would be awesome too. But yeah, just go to altitude-games.com and check out our jobs page because I would love okay. to see more, more devs. That sounds super cool. Us. So they would just have to go to altitude-games.com. Sounds great. Anything else you'd like to plug? Maybe the Facebook page, um, anything like that? The Twitter, yeah? The website's probably the best one in and terms of just getting all the, all the links are there. All the well. links are there. Okay, okay. And then, if anyone wants to take self-defense... Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. That's a great plug. Super. Um, oh, gosh. I hope I'm getting this right, but I think it's facebook.com slash... Okay, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we can look for it right now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So just look for um, International Krav Maga Federation Philippines. International Krav Maga Federation Philippines. I'm sure there's a shortcut, which yeah, I yeah, cannot sure. remember at the moment. Philippines. Let's look for that right now. Sorry about that. Don't worry. Oh, I'm gonna get so beaten I, up. I'm I can completely, <laughs> I can completely cut this part out. <laughs> Good uh, International Krav Maga Philippines. I can get it too. Oh, there. Is that it? Is that them? Yes. Yeah, you were right. Oh, how about just, that? Just search for International Krav Maga Federation Philippines on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. You can find them there. It's closed now. <laughs> oh no, it's just that they have a weird schedule. Oh, they have but a yeah, super so weird schedule. They have free trials if you just want to try self-defense, see if it's something that you would want to learn. Maybe enroll in the class, yeah, yeah, like you. Okay, so far you've plugged Altitude Games, you've plugged Krav Maga. Anything else you'd like to promote or plug? Uh, no, that's me. That's, <laughs> those about, are my two interests. Yeah, what about yourself as a person? Like, we've had an entire episode talking to you. I'm sure some people maybe want to reach out to you, maybe want to get in touch, collaborate, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, sure. How, how would they get in touch with you? Maybe an email, maybe a Twitter? Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, if you ever need to contact me about anything, I'm at about.me slash Luna Cruz. About.me yeah, slash, slash Luna, Luna Cruz. Cruz. It's okay. like an online business card. You just type that into the URL and mm -hmm. you're good to go. Mm -hmm. What about any social media? Maybe Twitter? Yeah. All the links are there. That's okay. probably the best All way. All the links yeah. are there. Okay. I like that. Very efficient. <laughs> even with Altitude Games and even with your own personal stuff. Yeah. That's super great. Okay, man. I have had a blast talking to you and I think I have learned so much when it <laughs> comes to the local games industry scene and like even Krav Maga and like women in general. <laughs> oh my god. It Actually, was great to meet you. Now that I think about it, not that you're the only one on the schedule, but you're my first female solo guest. Oh cool. This is a trend with me apparently. <laughs> I mean like I have a whole bunch more like lined up, lined up but right. you are the first solo female guest here on the show. Ah, thanks. Thanks for having me. How do you feel about that? Uh, that's the trend. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. You're the first female everything apparently. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And thanks no for problem. Mm, and thanks for welcoming me into your office here. Like it's been great. Your co-workers have been very gracious with allowing me to set up shop here and talk to you. <laughs> they're, they're gonna kick us out in a bit. <laughs> yep, yep. They have to use this meeting room, guys. They have to use this meeting room. Thanks so much. It's great talking to you. This oh is, man. It's an awesome experience for me. Thank you, and an awesome experience for me too. It has been great. We've learned so much. So, all good. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. And that was another episode of A Meal in the Morning at Night. Follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash a meal in the morning at night for announcements on when the next episode is out. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at at Emil Tang on Twitter. That's at E-M-I-L-E-T-A-N-G. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send it over to emilinthemorning at gmail.com. Once again, thank you to everyone for joining us for another episode of A Meal in the Morning at Night. And if you're like me, 
thank you for starting your day with us this fine evening. And to the rest of you people out there, a good night. <laughs>